Can you tell me in your own words or from your experience, what comes to mind when you hear ethical storytelling? When I hear ethical storytelling, the first thing that comes to mind is making sure that the image is the images that are captured. I mean, assuming that it's photography, um, because that's kind of the position that I'm coming from. I know that there's also, um, other methods of storytelling like film art etc but i'm a photographer so that's how i'm i see things um but for me it's more about making sure that the images that are captured are used in a way that is respectful to um the subject and that they are um that they're not staged in such a way to make, to, to skew the story, Mm -hmm. um, in any way, whether it be like a positive light or a negative light. That's, that's what comes to, to mind as far as ethical storytelling goes, that it, it actually is, is as truthful as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think the concept of, of truth is interesting. What do you think that your role or responsibility is in accurately capturing that reality versus the perception of something? Uh-huh. And telling that narrative. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's that's actually a really good question. Um, I think my role in it is is trying to engage with the subject or the story in in such a way that it's as organic as possible. That um, like if there's a if there were a possibility for me to get out of the way, um, which is not possible because hello, I have the camera. Um, that would obviously be the most ideal situation, but, um, sometimes, you know, the scenario, it has to be, you know, uh, sometimes like there's a place for setting something up. Like for example, you know, instead of going and, and waiting all night long for a woman to come and pump water from a well, maybe, you know, finding someone from the village that always goes and pumps water from that well and just say, hey, I'm going to be sitting here while you're doing this and, you know, making sure that I'm communicating with the subject as, as accurately as possible, letting, letting you know, him or her know what it is that I'm doing, what, what I'm trying to capture, what it's going to be used for, making sure that it's okay with them and, and capturing it, you know as organically as possible. But the other challenge to that is, you know, in, in, um, most situations where I'm photographed, I know that I want to, you know, take a peek in the mirror and make sure that I don't look like crap. You know, if my hair's messed up or if I've been crying and I have my makeup looks bad, I want to fix it. And I think that that's just human nature to want to project your best. Um, if you're going to be photographed or if you're going to be on, on film or something like that. So for me, I don't have a problem with that. If my subjects uh, want to, you know, put on some lip gloss or comb their hair or whatever, even though they might not always be wearing lip gloss when they go to pump water at a well, I don't know. That's a, I want them to, to feel their best as well. So as far as the line between reality and, and the perception, um, there's going to be situations where people, viewers might draw or might draw something or might draw uh, a conclusion about an image that might not be what I intended. Um, and so I try to do my best to just create, create a story that's accurate. Yeah. 
And that's really, that can be really hard to do. And that's where it takes, for me, I think that it takes a series of images. It's really difficult to do it in one, in one photograph. Um, but I think, you know, that's why it's like a photo story and not just a photo necessarily a series of images. I think are, it can be the best way to, um, create narrative. Yeah. So how, how does storytelling translate into photography or into your photography if there's not written word accompanying it? And what do you feel like you're responsible for as a photographer? As a photographer, I feel responsible for anything and everything I create. So I think that the, it, it does, it comes back on me. It's up to me to, um, to be as informed as possible. It's up to me to inform my subjects as much as possible. Um, the ultimate, ultimately like what I'm capturing and what I'm creating, I need to think about the, uh, repercussions of, of what that's going to look like at any point in time. And I think that, you know, I'm really grateful that there's like a big, um, a big, uh, how do I explain it? Like, you know, I've been through a, a big learning curve myself and I'm still continuing to learn. And I think that there's, you know, a significant amount of, of grace that's offered to photographers, you know, when they're starting out, um, you know, there's just, I'm, I've made mistakes and I'm probably going to continue to, but being as informed as possible, I think is extremely helpful. Um, but yeah, the responsibility, I believe that it's mine. And so, um, I think the important thing is that, um, I try to create like a picture or create imagery that is kind of is 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 as complete of a story as possible every photograph you know i believe it, it's it's a picture of something and when i say picture i don't mean like a photo it's obviously a photograph but it's telling a, a, some kind of a story and so um as far as the way that it translates i guess that's just just the nature of a photograph it's a story so it's up to me how I create that. It's up to me how I frame it. It's up to me what kind of lighting. It's up to me how I engage with my subject um, in such a way that they feel comfortable or if they feel uncomfortable. Um, so a major, a major thing that I do is I try to spend as much time as possible with each subject that I photograph without the camera. Um, and then sometimes what I'll do is I'll even, you know, I'll let them photograph me and, or I'll photo and, and then I'll photograph them or I'll put it on a tripod with a, uh, with a remote. That way it's not like me standing in front of them, shoving a camera in their face, making them feel uncomfortable because I think we can all agree unless, you know, you're a super fashion model, like people in general, I don't think like love getting their photo taken. So I want to translate that just by making it as organic, and comfortable of a situation as possible. Yeah. So from like a, a really tangible perspective and your maybe preparation going into um, field shoots or even when you get on the ground, what steps do you take 
to ensure that you are prepared to capture the most realistic and honest images that you can while you're storytelling? Yeah. Well, for me, it begins long before I step, you know, into the field or into whatever context um, to capture the images. It begins way before that. So for me, it starts with, um, you know, what is my purpose? What is if I'm photographing for an organization or if I'm photographing, um, you know, if, if the work is relevant to refugees, then it's my responsibility to do as much homework as possible so that I don't end up asking stupid or maybe not stupid, but just like questions that I could have known the answer to. Mm. Um, so I try to do as much reading as possible before I'm in that, in the actual situation to try to understand where the person is coming from. And that's really helpful. Um, and even trying to understand, say a political climate or, um, racial tensions of an area or, um, different kinds of, uh, if there's like anthropological things are going on or if there's, that I need to know about or, you know, cultural faux pas. I try to educate myself because I have made a lot of really embarrassing mistakes uh, in that way. And so now I try to do as much research as possible. Then secondly, um, what I do is I kind of map out a photo list of things that I know will kind of encompass the, the story or the narrative. So if that's, you know, getting a wide angle photo of a desert, or if that's, you know, getting a photograph of something super specific, like, you know, um, two people holding hands, like a child or a parent to show a relationship or something like that. So I go into it with a shot list, um, and some kind of basic understanding of, you know, the culture, the situation that I'm going into. And then, the next thing that I do is just try to engage with people. I mean, people are people everywhere. Um, kids love high fives. Adults love to be engaged with as an adult. Um, people really respond well to questions. And then um, something I enjoy doing is kind of sharing a little bit with my subjects about me if it's a cross-cultural situa situation, which uh, is usually what I find myself in. So... Those are some of the things that I do before I even, you know, take out my camera. Um, but it, it's kind of different every time I, I, um, I kind of follow what my intuition tells me to do, uh, once I actually arrive and that can be anything from like climbing up a tree or getting on top of a vehicle to going, trudging through uh, marsh, which happened <laughs> once. So once I, once I I'm prepped for the shoots, I feel, I feel a lot better. And that also includes things like making sure I've had enough sleep and not, you know, all the basic stuff, like making sure my gear is charged, which I have shown up before and realized that, you know, my battery pack wasn't, uh, exactly plugged in, um, stuff like that, just kind of double checking everything. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the the gist of what I do to to approach uh, um, photo sessions, I guess. 
Do you have any, um, just in regards to an approach, do you have any sort of like value system or filter system in which you uh, analyze or discern through the nonprofits that ask for your help in terms of photographing um, and documenting narratives of their work? Um, what are you looking for in nonprofits that you choose to partner with? Um, I am so fortunate that the nonprofit organizations that that I've worked with in the past have mostly been really, really incredible. Um, I think that the big focus on ethical storytelling um, has been, it's a little nuanced uh, to, the phrase is a little nuanced to me, although the concept isn't necessarily. Um, But I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't as much of a focus on like, wipe the snot off of a little kid's face, you know, stuff like that. But um, since I've been, uh, traveling and working with nonprofits, uh, um, NGOs, um, nationally or nationally and internationally, my big, my big, um, questions when I sit down with them are mostly like, you know, um, what is, what are the, what is the core values of your organization? Um, tell me a little bit about how you're engaging with people on the ground, um, how are you helping them? What does the partnership look like? Is it very much like, you know, Oh, we're coming from America to save you from, you know, yourself, or is it more of a partnership and friendship with people on the ground, honoring and respecting them and respecting their culture? Um, and I think for me, the, probably the most important thing is just humility and having a deep understanding that, you know, um, if I'm going and working in, for example, Swaziland, I've spent a lot of time there. Um, it's very different from where I've grown up. And so how can I go into the situation with humility and say, okay, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know and understand about your culture. Let's kind of, you know, start with the basics and making sure that the organization that I'm working with is honoring and respecting those components. Um, the second thing is making sure that the imagery is used in a way that is transparent. And what I mean by that is that it's not necessarily going into an area and saying, you know, let's look for the worst situation possible and, try to communicate that to, you know, the entire constituency and exaggerating the situation and making it seem like it's far worse or even far better than it is. And so I think that's where I'm a really big fan of, of facts and understanding, um, uh, just having as much information as possible. And at some point, you know, the images are going to be used and for, they might be used in like a, a uh, presentation type of, of scenario where someone else is showing the image and kind of, um, leading some kind of conversation about it. And so making sure that, you know, the correct information is always attached to the image is really important, um, to me and making sure that I go through all of that, um, in great detail with the organizations that I work with, because, I remember there was one particular situation where um, I was in a slum and uh, 
there were some other people that were there and they were photographing a, a man who was uh, getting water out of a really disgusting stream. And you could look at the man and make an assumption that the man was taking that water maybe to drink it. Nobody, nobody knew. Um, and I try not to photograph people too much without asking them. So I walked over and I, to the man and said, you know, Hey, how's it going? Struck up a conversation with him. I said, what are you, what are you doing with this? And he said, Oh, I'm taking it home, taking it back to my, my home, uh, so I can water my garden meaning his vegetables. And so, you know, that image could have been the face of the global water crisis when it was not accurate because there wasn't any kind of exchange with, with the, with the person and the subject or whatever you want to call it. And so it's really important, you know, that I kind of start at the top with the organizations I work with and make sure that that they are are ethical through and through starting from the foundation of who they are all the way down to when we're on the field, you know, making sure that we interact with people and ask them the right kind of questions. Yeah. It's interesting how, especially when you're with an organization that might be focused on a particular um, social or environmental issue, how meaning can be so quickly assigned in spaces where it's not supposed to be, you know, I think, I, I take people through Bangkok's um, different organizations in Bangkok. And there was one time that a group of people, young students actually were walking um, through a, a red light district and they looked up at the windows and saw the bars on the windows. And they said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're keeping, you know, children in there with bars on the windows. And I, I had to point out that all of these second level windows and pretty much all of Bangkok have bars on the windows. Um, but because of the context that they were in, they were assigning meaning where meaning didn't need to be assigned and the assumptions were being jumped to. And that can be so um, dangerous to the, the, the narrative as well as the dignity um, of the people whose stories are telling. So, yeah, it can be. And I think there is, it, it can be complex because, you know, I believe like a picture in and of itself, um, like the imagery should tell the story, but if it's a situation where meaning can be assigned or, you know, um, as an American, I can look at something and think that it means one thing because of my cultural background, someone else could look at it and think, you know, Oh, that means something completely different. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of captions. So people don't always, you know, we can't, I can't always um, control 100% how someone's going to receive something. But then I can always, if there's opportunity for captions, you that's kind of a time that it can be explained. Or, you know, if someone's giving a presentation and the photograph is used, uh, the person that's doing the presentation can um, explain that, you know, this is can easily be misconstrued and here's why. So you recently have turned the camera on yourself for a series. What have you learned being on the other side of the camera? Yeah. Wow. Um, hmm. Being on the other side of the camera has been incredibly eye opening for me as, as an artist and as a photographer, I guess I have always been the one that's, that's snapping the photos. And so I've given thought to, you know, what's going on on the other side, 
but I haven't really been a subject of an entire photo series. And so the past couple of years, I've turned the camera on myself. I've handed it to other people. I've done self uh, portraits. And what has been so interesting is the unbelievable vulnerability that it requires to stand in front of a camera and to express emotion and to let my guard down and to be as honest and transparent as possible to, to get the best images possible. And it has been so interesting because I think for me, it has like opened up this entire perspective uh, that I have for everyone that's ever allowed me to photograph them, making, making my respect for them even making me have even more respect for them. Um, I have really been so, so lucky to work with incredible people from all over the world. And looking back, it's just challenged me to, uh, really consider what kind of courage it takes to stand in front of a camera. Um, I think that it requires like a tremendous amount of, of like, awareness and a tremendous amount of just letting go of, uh, insecurities and, you know, wondering, Oh no, do I look good? Do I look, you know, fat? Do I look, is this the right angle? How's my jawline? You know, stuff like that. I guess it's revealed to me a lot more about what it is to be, I don't know, to be on the other side. And it's given me a lot of respect for people who can be photographed, who aren't fashion models and do it every day, you know. Why did you choose to to turn the camera towards yourself? Um, <clears throat> a big reason that I decided to turn the camera on myself is because I, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer that had a pretty dismal, um, uh, shoot, what's the word? I was diagnosed with cancer a few years back that has a pretty dismal, um, oh man, sorry, I can't think of the word. Hang on. Give me a second. Hello, prognosis. Okay. Let me just start it over so it'd be a soundbite. A few years back, I was diagnosed with a type of cancer that has a pretty poor prognosis. And I decided that no matter what happened uh, in the situation that I wanted it to be documented because I believe in the power of story and no matter how the story was going to unfold, I wanted to be able to have it at minimum for myself. So when I started, the intention was not to share the images with other people. I'm a pretty private person and kind of shy in terms of like, uh, who I choose to let in to like my, you know, inner chambers of my heart, I guess. And, um, I knew that one of the most courageous things that I could do through my diagnosis was to have it captured, um, with a camera. 
And I spent a lot of time journaling and a lot of time uh, taking self portraits and then also handing my camera to numerous other people and asking them to snap photos. And that's been really cathartic for me. Um, but like I said, it has been incredibly, incredibly, uh, intense because it's made me feel so vulnerable. And so it's kind of a tribute to the people who have allowed me into their lives. I feel like it's not something that I owe the world necessarily, but I feel like it's something that is like like a a kind gesture to others who have let me into their pain. Mm. And I think that for me to be able to turn the camera on myself and be the subject has been one of the most difficult things I've ever done. One of the most uh, uncomfortable and one of the most, yeah, one of the most intense ways that I felt vulnerability. And so I think um, that has been really transformative for me. So I think what's interesting is that you chose to to turn the camera on yourself and you're, you're experiencing, I think, that how incredibly vulnerable that is. How, how does that shape or change the way that you would approach photographing other individuals in the future? As far as... As far as turning the camera on myself goes and what I've learned from it, I think that in the future it will probably just change my perspective as far as understanding how difficult it is to to be photographed. Maybe that's just me. Maybe other people don't find it uncomfortable. I don't know. Um, but I think on the whole they do. Uh, people that I've interacted with and and photographed it's taken a long time until they are comfortable enough to 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 let me you know stick the camera in their face and so I think in the future it's really going to give me a lot more empathy and also respect for anyone that allows me to capture them with my camera um, I'm sure that there will be other ways as it continues to unfold I don't know what those are right now yeah. Huh. So cool. in the context of storytelling, I have one more question for you. Okay. Um, in the context of storytelling, what would you go back and say to yourself when you had just started out? Oh man. When I just started out, I kind of wish that somebody would have handed me a piece of paper that said the top 10 things you need to know. <laughs> And, um, you know, the first thing would have been, the first thing would have been to, to do as much homework as possible beforehand. It is so important to understand the context that I'm in. Um, and what I mean by that is what I had touched on earlier in terms of understanding, uh, a country, a political situation, um, understanding, you know, social and anthropological implications of a situation, um, 
understanding even things like in Thailand, you don't touch people's head. Um, and I touch people's head all the time. I w- those were things I wish I would have, would have known in the beginning, do the homework and, um, you know, St. Francis, I love it when he said, you know, seek to understand, not to be understood. And I think that that's such a powerful phrase because it is kind of instilled in me, I think as an American growing up in a pretty, you know, traditional, um, family setting that, that, you know, America is so wonderful and, you know, uh, at church, they were always kind of like, yeah, we need to go and help the poor people. And it kind of created an us them mentality. And I think the important thing is to, you know, zoom out of that, that and start to really dig in and ask like, where are these values coming from? Uh, what has set this in motion and really, um, pursuing a wholeness in, in myself. Um, I wish that someone would have said, keep very detailed notes of everything that you ever photograph of every person's name and, um, details about their story, where they were photographed and really importantly, make sure that I have photo release forms for everyone that, that I, uh, photograph. So I have an app on my phone now that's pretty straightforward and simple, um, and making sure that if I don't speak the language, that there's a translator that very clearly communicates to everyone that I interact with, uh, what it is that I'm doing, what I intend to do with their images, what I don't intend to do with their images, um, and making sure that that communication is there. I think, you know, I discovered when I was in Kenya, I was sitting around a campfire drinking whiskey with some Maasai warriors and they were telling me about how people come and photograph them and sell their pictures to National Geographic and that really bothers them. And I thought, yeah, that would bother me too, you know? Um, And so it's so much of it is about respect um, and staying, you know, and then on, on the practical side, just staying organized. I have stacks and stacks of hard drives that are completely in disarray as far as file organization. And so I think kind of coming up with some type of system in the beginning would have been really helpful for me. Um, and then I think continuing to just, uh, build and maintain relationships with people, people, um, everywhere you go, you never know what, what could happen, what could, uh, turn out from that friendship. And so, yeah, those are some things that I wish I would have known in the beginning. I know that's not 10, but, um, those are just a few. Yeah. Another thing that I wish I would have known in the beginning was to make sure that I double back up my files. Um, thank God I haven't been in a situation where I've lost anything significant, but, the importance of backing up imagery in two places from a practical sense is so paramount. I think having something backed up online on an online storage space, as well as a physical hard drive is a good way to go. Yeah. Um, But I, I'm really thankful that 
I feel like the tide is starting to shift when it comes to photojournalism and when it comes to ethical storytelling, especially in the context of, of nonprofit, the nonprofit sector. Um, I think that the world is so small and people are so valuable that their faces just cannot be exploited. And I even remember um, during during the time when the when Al Shabab kidnapped a lot of the the young young women and girls from uh, was it Ken? No, Nigeria wasn't it? Nigeria. Thank you. When the girls were kidnapped from Nigeria, um, someone had tweeted a photo. And this girl's face was the face of this campaign. And the girl wasn't even from Nigeria. Um, they had pulled it offline. They had stolen it and, and used it. And this young woman, it was her face. She was really outraged. No one had asked her about it. Uh, and uh, the original photographer, I think, was a National Geographic photographer. And finally ended up you know, confronting the person that was sending this picture out over Twitter, you know, that's, that picture is not, (laughs) you're not allowed to use it. You don't have permission to use it. You don't have permission to use it in this way. And so I think with the, you know, the rise of technology, it's making it more difficult to, to scam people, I guess. Um, and I think that's good, but it's, it's kind of starting to provide more checks and balances. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I can't think of anything else. I'm really excited that you guys are doing this. It's something that I really appreciate, and it's pretty close to my heart. Like I've, I think the the ethics and the importance of how we engage with people is a major responsibility, but it's ultimately our responsibility. So. We as artists and people that work in the nonprofit world need to be very acutely aware that those that we work with are humans with feelings and insecurities just like anyone else and really starting to kind of destroy that uh, antiquated like ideal of us, them. And I think the more we close the gap on that, like the better the relationship is going to be with, with, uh, with people that we get to work with. Well, one more question that's not podcast um, related, but what if we're working on, um, a series of webinars and workshops and Mm -hmm. what topics might you be interested in learning more about in one of those or wish that there was a workshop on, or think would be helpful for other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think, let me think about it, topics and workshops on ethical storytelling. Well, I guess just starting out with like the definition of ethical storytelling, that would just be like one whole workshop, like what is ethical storytelling? Yeah. Um, and then I guess the second one would be how to communicate effectively because, you know, I, that was a huge eye-opener for me when I 
when I was talking with that man and all these people were taking his pictures and he was, he was, you know, pulling up water, this dirty water and everyone made the assumption that he was drinking it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, just focusing on how to create truthful images that don't, you know, that, that as much as possible that, we can have an increased awareness about how our imagery could be misconstrued. There's not, it's never going to be fail proof, Mm -hmm. but I think making sure that if, if I am documenting imagery for a nonprofit organization focused on clean water, that if I asked that man, what are you doing? And he said, it's for his garden. I just delete the image because (laughs) yeah, there's too much there's too much room for for um for it to be misconstrued and so that's i mean that is that's my responsibility so you know what does that look like for a photographer how can we become better at our craft better at what it is that we're doing so that we are contributing to ethical stories that are being released yeah and 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 why is that important you know yep well it's almost like a breaking down of our assumptions and learning how to recognize when we're making an assumption and then the the awareness the self-awareness to actually go as far as to to verify or challenge that assumption which is exactly right because like you Mm -hmm. had been in the field long enough to know that Sometimes people pull dirty water out of a stream to use it to water their plants because they'd rather save the clean water to drink. And so I think to, to have that level of education and awareness, but how do you, how do you start a base camp um, with folks that are just coming into this space? And well, um, I think the big, a big issue with that is, you know, the, the field is kind of like the wild west. Like there's a lot of people that are you know, videographer, they're incredibly talented videographers, photographers, and artists that are working with, with nonprofits and NGOs. And I think that that's great, but, but oftentimes there's not any kind of formal training, which is not a bad thing. But I think, you know, in my formal training in journalism is that you, a good journalist would ask the questions, you know? And so I think that that component Missing that component is is really doing a big disservice because, you know, you can take a great picture and make it look good. There's enough, you know, fancy cameras out there and people can edit stuff. It's not, you know, the hardest thing on the planet to create a cool looking photo. But what's hard is being an investigative journalist that is saying, I'm here to actually investigate what's going on to ensure that the story that I'm communicating is as accurate as possible because that ultimately is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the organization that I work with is not going, is it's not on them. They don't, they're hiring me to, you know, to know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and to do it well and to do it ethically. And they aren't going to follow me around and make sure that every photograph that I'm shooting is what it is. So I think that would be a great, a great workshop. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And focusing on like, man, you know, I carry around a pack of wet wipes with me when I'm 
traveling because <laughs> I, I, I am, I'm like, if, if I'm going to take a picture of my nephew, I will wipe his nose because his nose is running because he's two. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to like, bro, get over here before I snap your picture, you know, yeah. play soccer. I'm going to wipe your fucking face off. <laughs> you're, you're five and your nose is just real snotty. So and funny. and I'll shoo the flies away because that is just I I think it's mean I know it might not be a hundred percent accurate because I'm like no they had snot and I wiped it off just the same way that I comb my hair if I know somebody's gonna take my picture sometimes I just want to look my best so maybe I'm not a true photojournalist I don't know I would wipe the kid's nose regardless <sighs> I'd be like get so- over here your nose is running <laughs> we got a problem. Let's address this situation. I would do that in any context I were in. So it's it, it's a really big deal to maintain human dignity. And they might not have a tissue with them at the time. Uh, and if I do, I'm going to wipe off their nose. <laughs>